0: Thanks so much to Eddie, thanks so much to Caitlin, and also to Esther and Kirsty uh, and PJ for leading us so well in worship this morning. Good morning, everyone. It's good to be here. It's good to be in worship, isn't it? It's good to be in church this morning in God's presence, and it's also great to be able to open up God's Word with you uh, again. Turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 7, verses 37 through 43. John chapter 7, verses 37 through 43. That's where we're going to read from today. And just while you do that, let me quickly recap where we're at in our series and then we'll read God's word together. Ever since our Ignition Week of Prayer and Fasting at the start of September, we've been working through a series called Blessing Begins with Hunger. And in this autumn teaching series and throughout our fasting practice as part of practicing the way, we've been trying our absolute best, our absolute best to unpack this deep theological reality that our God moves upon hunger that God is attracted to spiritual hunger, that Yahweh, the great I Am, the sovereign Lord of the universe, that that same God calls us to be hungry for Him and that He moves upon our hunger and thirst. This profound reality, it's evident in Scripture and throughout human history. And the overwhelming majority of significant moves of God can be traced back to a people who got really hungry and thirsty for God. People who recognized their absolute need of Him and who sacrificed their lives to follow Him. And so it seems that while our God is transcendent, That while he is perfectly able to intervene in any way that he pleases, and that while God does move in spite of our apathy, that actually his heart is mostly moved towards hungry and thirsty faith. It seems that sacrificial and desperate and determined Christian living actually attracts and catalyzes the work of God's Spirit. It's almost like the words of Chronicles Second uh, Chronicles chapter 16 verse 9 are actually true for the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Our God is looking to strengthen those whose hearts are fully surrendered to him. God is looking for people who are hungry and who are thirsty for him. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessing begins with hunger. And last Sunday, Rick took us to the woman at the well in Samaria, and he helped us to start thinking about our spiritual thirst and this truth that Jesus alone provides spiritual water that satisfies the deepest longings of our souls. And today we enter into a similar moment in the life of Jesus, where he again refers to himself as the source of living water. And today we're going to unpack this beautiful truth just a little bit more by working through four key points. Firstly, Jesus alone is the source of living water. Secondly, we need to identify our hunger and our thirst. Thirdly, we need to come and drink of the water that Jesus offers. And lastly, that we are filled by the Holy Spirit to overflowing. So that's where we're going today. So on to today's passage, John chapter 7, verses 37 through 43. Let's read this together, and then we'll think about it. This is God's Word. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus had not yet been glorified. On hearing his words, some of the people said, surely this man is the prophet. Others said, he is the Messiah. Still others asked, how can the Messiah come from Galilee? Does not Scripture say that the Messiah will come from David's descendants and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Thus, the people were divided because of Jesus. And we end there giving thanks to God for his word. And for it still speaks to us today. Jesus alone offers living water. Living water. Let's think about this, and let's think about what Jesus is really saying here first. Living water. Living water is really quite an obscure phrase, and I think for many of us who have been around church for some time, we might well be accustomed to hearing this phrase, and we might even have some notion of what it might mean but if you think about it, it's actually quite a strange phrase. Indeed, water by its very definition, it isn't actually a living thing. It doesn't reproduce, and it doesn't grow. It just is. Water isn't a living thing. So why does Jesus say this, and what is the significance of his claim here? Well, in order to understand what Jesus is really saying, we have to understand the context into which he said this, because as was so common with Jesus, he used context to clarify something really important about his personhood, his mission, and his kingdom. Jesus picked his moments strategically, and context was everything here. So what was the context into which Jesus said this phrase, living water? Well, let me set the scene here for you. By this point in John's gospel, Jesus had gathered his disciples. He'd traveled around teaching and preaching, and he'd performed various miracles and signs that alluded to his divine identity. And as a result, Jesus had started to make quite a lot of noise in the public domain. But despite all of that noise, the majority of the public still didn't really know what to make of him. The religious elite, they were the only ones who really had made up their mind on him. They wanted him dead because he represented a critical threat to their status and their authority. But despite even that, most other people were very much undecided about who this man called Jesus was. And the word on the street about him was extremely mixed. The public were asking identity questions about Jesus. And it is into that wider context that we come to John chapter 7. And here Jesus goes alone to what was called the festival of the tabernacles in Jerusalem. Now, the Festival of Tabernacles is one of the big three Jewish festivals, along with Passover and Pentecost. And the Festival of Tabernacles, it happens for a week at the start of October. And it's a hugely significant public celebration where thousands of Jews pilgrimage into Jerusalem to do two things. Number one, they thank God for his provision when their people wandered in the wilderness. And number two, they look forward to the age that would come when the Messiah would arrive and gather all nations to Jerusalem to worship God forever. So this is a big public spectacle. This is a big moment. But importantly, water was really, really significant in one key ceremony called the Ceremony of the Water Drawing. And this happened every day during the festival. Here, the high priest, along with a whole tribe of priests and large crowds, they would all proceed to the fresh water pool of Siloam and draw water. And then from there, they would go back to the temple, and they would offer up animal sacrifices and watch the high priest pour water on the altar. And it probably looked a little bit like the image that is on the screen behind me. And again, this was a huge celebratory ceremony where the Jews were literally commanded to be joyful. There was singing, and there was dancing, and there was shouting, and there was music, and they would have been reciting Isaiah 12, verses 3, you shall draw waters from the mountains of triumph. This was a joyful celebration, so much so that the oral Torah says that he that has never seen the joy of the ceremony of the water drawing has never in his life seen joy And the joy of this moment, this ceremony, characterized the whole festival, and it still does even to this day, as the Jews refer to it as the season of our joy. This is a moment of joy, and this is a big spectacle. But this collecting and pouring of water on the altar, this was central in all of it. This water, it was symbolic of God's nourishment and God's cleansing of the people. And it was also prophetically pointing to a day of salvation when the Messiah would come and heal the people and liberate the lands and gather all people to Jerusalem to worship God forever. And so stick with me here. It is into this context. It is into this moment that Jesus makes this claim about living water. Picture it in your mind's eye. Look at verses 37 and 38. It's the final day of the celebration, the big apex moment of the whole week. And Jesus stands up, and in a loud voice, he shouts over the crowds and says these incredible words, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. What is he really saying here? He's saying that he is the one who can nourish the people's spiritual thirst. He's saying that he is the one who can cleanse the people of their sins. He's saying that he is the Messiah. In a day when so many people did not know what to make of him, and at the apex moment of this joyous celebration, Jesus stands up and shouts over the crowds and makes this massive claim about his identity, that he really is the Messiah. And remember the pool of Siloam where water was being drawn from in that ceremony? Jesus would soon send the blind man there to wash his eyes and see again. This prophetic kind of miracle that catalyzed more of his ministry. This all has significance. Water cleans, water washes, water brings nourishment. And Jesus is saying here that he is the ultimate source of cleansing and nourishment. By eventually dying on the altar at Calvary, Jesus would pour out his totally pure life and wash away the sins of the people and would nourish their thirsty souls by leaving the Holy Spirit to later dwell in them. So what is he doing here? What is he really saying in the context of this moment? He is saying, I am the Messiah I am the source of living water. I am the one who offers the river of the Holy Spirit that will soon inhabit my followers and which will one day make glad the city of God. I am the source of living water, water that brings everlasting life. Wow. And just like every time Jesus spoke of his identity, his claim demanded a response. Someone doesn't say this kind of thing as a throwaway comment in a festival in a moment like this. They don't say it. Jesus' claim here to the people was demanding a response from them. And how did the people respond? They were divided. They were divided. Verses 40 through 43, you can read it there. Some said he was the Messiah. Some said he was a prophet. Others doubted him altogether. You know, his brothers probably doubted him as well. Earlier in John 7, it says that for even his own brothers did not believe in him yet. Jesus' claim, Jesus' claim in this moment, it demanded a response. And in so doing, he divided the crowd. And he still does that to this very day. And so I wonder this morning who you think Jesus really was. Jesus claims throughout his life they demand a response from every single one of you. He was he a prophet? Was he just a good teacher? Was he disillusioned? Or was he actually the Messiah, the thing that he was saying he was? Look right at me this morning. Jesus' life and Jesus' claims, they demand a response from you today and in every single day of your life. There is no sitting on the fence when it comes to his identity. He either was the Messiah or he wasn't. And I love what Tim Keller said on this in 2017 when he wrote this. Jesus cannot just be liked. His claims make us either kill him or crown him. Folks, I believe that this scripture this morning in John 7, it calls us all to respond again to that. Maybe you have known Jesus for years. Maybe you think that you can just like him. Or maybe you haven't made up your mind on him at all. This is a moment, this very moment at the water ceremony, this is a moment where Jesus is calling all of us again to make a decision about who he really is. Jesus tells us that he is the source of living water, that he alone cleanses from sin and brings about spiritual renewal, and he calls you and I to make a decision about him today again. So what's the first big point from this passage today? Jesus is the Messiah, the only source of living water. So make your mind up about him. But secondly then, we discover that if we believe that Jesus was truly the Messiah, that actually we have to do two things. Verse 37, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Jesus' call here has two parts. Firstly, identify your spiritual thirst. And secondly, come and drink the water Jesus offers. So if you're making notes, highlight the words thirsty and highlight come and drink. Let's think about these two things that Jesus is asking of us in verse 37. Firstly, Jesus calls us to realize that every single one of us are thirsty for God. The Bible tells us that we were fundamentally designed to be in relationship with God, and that when we pursue anything else, that we will be burned out, dissatisfied, and that we will always long for something that we can't get. And I don't think it takes a genius to realize that our world is broken and that our world is hungry and thirsty. But the sad reality is that in our brokenness, we have bought into the toxic lie that we can satisfy our hunger and our thirst with created things rather than in the creator of those things who originally gave them to us to bless us and draw us back into relationship with him. And most of the time, we don't even realize that we do this. Think about it for a moment. Work, rest, food, family, children, holidays, and houses. Sadly, we very often worship these things like they are God. We choose to order our life around these things in the hope of medicating our hunger and our thirst. And we are kidding ourselves by doing it. And again, Tim Keller clarifies this by saying the following. The human heart is an idol factory that takes good things like a successful career, love, material possessions, even family, and turns them into ultimate things. Our hearts deify them as the center of our lives because we think they can give us significance and security, safety and fulfillment if we can attain them. We try to medicate our hunger and our thirst with idols and empty human logic. And Jesus knew exactly this. The same was true in the time of John 7 as it is today. And Jesus calls out to the people in this moment, not only to see that he is the Messiah, but also to recognize that they are hungry and thirsty for him, a transcendent God and Savior. Jesus knew that the people were burned out on religion. Jesus knew that the people were helpless and harassed. Jesus knew that the people were fed up being oppressed by rulers and by a form of moralistic extremism. And Jesus saw that the people were disillusioned and exhausted. And in these moments, in John 7, in this festival of tabernacles, he was pleading with them to recognize their thirst and their hunger and their need of a God who could satisfy them eternally. And so in part one of verse 37, Jesus is saying that we need to recognize our spiritual thirst for him. I wonder this morning, do you recognize that you actually are really thirsty? Honestly, every single one of us is really hungry and thirsty, but do you actually recognize it? And let me just prod at this a little bit more. How much money will be enough for you? How many achievements will be enough for you in your life? How many more holidays will be enough for you? How many more children will be enough for you? How many more calories will be enough for you? How much sex is enough? How much Netflix and chill will be enough for you? None of these things will ever satisfy you, nor can the perfect balance of them all Our broken logic and our consumer culture lies to us and tells us that they can, especially if we just get the right balance of all of them, and it is nonsense. None of these things can absolutely satisfy us. Only God can. Our pursuit of these things gets us on a toxic treadmill of wanting more and more and more, and we'll never be able to get enough. Worshiping anything other than God is like burrowing into a rabbit hole that has no end and no satisfaction. And you know what? It's absolutely exhausting. And what does Jesus say here in John 7? Recognize that you are thirsty, but you are thirsty for God alone. But then on the part two of Jesus' ask here in verse 37... He then tells us to come and drink the water that he alone offers. And I love this. Recognize that you're hungry and thirsty for God, but then come to Jesus and drink the water he offers. And Jesus' command here to come, it is really, really lovely. It's not just intellectually accept that he is the Messiah, which is important nor is it just recognize your hunger and thirst for him. It's actually then to come to him and follow him. And this is about action. And I believe that this action, is really, really critical in our discipleship and our formation. 22 times throughout the gospels, we find Jesus say words to this effect, come to me. Come to me. Come to me, all who are weak and heavy laden. Let the little children come to me. Peter, Andrew, James, John, all of the disciples, come to me. Follow me. Come to me. Jesus repeatedly tells us to come to him. And it's not framed as a one-off event. This is said with the intention of coming to him over and over and over and over and again, in word and in prayer and in daily obedience to his voice. This going to God, this coming to Jesus, it's critical in our faith and it's critical in our discipleship. And if we stop doing this, our faith will stagnate and eventually die. What will kill our church? If Stuart stops coming to Jesus? What will kill our church if our elders stop coming to Jesus? What will kill our mission if leaders and volunteers stop coming to Jesus? What will kill our discipleship and stagnate us in our faith more than anything else if we stop coming to Jesus? And to take that a little bit further, You know that the last thing that we need right now in a moment of rapid church decline in our nation are crowds of people who gather together and who see their faith lived vicariously through the faith of another, through a gifted church leader, through a a minister, through someone else. It's the last thing that we need, people living their faith lives vicariously through someone else. Don't play games with other people's faith where you sit on the sofa or you sit in the pew with the popcorn and think that their devotion is your devotion. It is not. This is about you and this is about God. Jesus' command to us is about Coming to him. This is about going to Jesus yourself. And Jesus invites each and every one of us to come to him daily. And we cannot settle and we cannot stop that no matter what. So, verse 37 after recognizing that Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus then asks us to do two things very clearly recognize that we are hungry and thirsty for God and come and drink the water that he alone offers. But lastly, then, Jesus ends with a promise. Look at verse 38 if you're following along. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And by this he meant the Spirit. And I adore this. Just think about the movement in these two or three verses that we've been reading from today. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus offers us clarity and understanding about our hunger and our thirst. Jesus offers us salvation, the cleansing and quenching of our hunger and thirst. And then Jesus offers us the gift of the Holy Spirit. Tell me this isn't the gospel summarized. Jesus is the Word of God in flesh, and he can say this much in two or three lines of a public address. And here in verse 38, Jesus goes further and says that if we believe and come to him, that we will be filled with rivers of living water that won't only satisfy us, but that will flow out of us to the world around us. Believe in Jesus, recognize your need of him, come to him daily, but also get filled up with the Holy Spirit, filled up to overflowing To keep this part really simple, what does it look like to drink the water he offers? We are saying sorry, thank you, please, and amen. We say sorry for my sin, thank you for your grace, please can you restore my soul, and then let your will be done through my life. And out of this pattern of coming to Jesus and drinking living water flows the life-giving water of the Holy Spirit to everybody around us like a river. Why did we plant a church in Belfast? Why did we do that? Because of the life-giving water of the Holy Spirit overflowing in our people. Why do we show up week after week after week to Alpha? Because of the life-giving water of the Holy Spirit flowing through us. Why do we serve and give and love and reach out? Because of the life-giving water of the Holy Spirit flowing through us. As we are in communion with God, so we are filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit, which moves us out beyond ourselves. And I think the challenge here for many of us, it's not about infilling, but rather about overflowing. I think many of us understand that when we come to God, that he absolutely does fill us with his Holy Spirit. I think that we get that. But I also think that the challenge here is about the measure of that overflow. To put it this way, the question is, has your life become a flowing river or has it become a dead lake? Has your life become a flowing river or has it become a dead lake? Why is the Dead Sea dead? It receives fresh water from the River Jordan. So so why is it dead? It's dead because it has no outlet. Fresh water gathers, but it has no outlet. And so it ultimately dies in the conditions of the area. And you know what? The same is true in the life of the Christian Christian. We are promised that we will be filled by the Holy Spirit. But that infilling is supposed to overflow out of us. And if that doesn't happen, then the living water that the Holy Spirit gives to us, it begins to stagnate and die. The water is living in so much as it brings life to us, yes, but also in so much as it brings life to other people, And here in this context, Jesus saw that the Jewish people had become like dead lakes rather than flowing rivers. They were stuck in their dead moralistic deism and they were not bringing about God's kingdom into the world. And so Jesus calls out to them to receive the living water that he offered so that it could bring life to them, yes, but also to everyone around them. And the same is exactly true for us today today. God promises that if you come to him, he will fill you with his Holy Spirit. That will happen. That is the promise. But listen to this. That which he puts in you is supposed to come out of you. And you are partly responsible for that. You have a part to play in that. And so the question is, is your life a flowing river or has it become a dead lake? Are you bringing the life-giving presence of God to your families and your workplaces and your neighborhoods, or are you not? Is water flowing through you in as much as it is flowing into you? You know, as I have personally prepared for this today, I have been so challenged by this again. In my own life, I know that it is so easy to receive from God and then just move on consume, 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 be filled, filled, filled. But yet, as often as God has filled me, I have so often gotten in the way of the overflow. The truth is this, that which God has done in your life is supposed to be passed on to everyone around you. So let me be really clear. Have you been forgiven? Then go and forgive Have you been healed? Go and pray with others for healing. Have you been shown compassion? Go and show compassion. Have you been encouraged by the Holy Spirit? Go and encourage others. Have you been sought out from the fringes by Christian people and drawn into the family of God? Well, go and get others and bring them in. This is the pattern of God's kingdom. This is the movement that Jesus is pointing to here. Yes, he promises filling from the Holy Spirit, But the challenge is to allow that to overflow. So let me push it even further. How many more good sermons do you need? How many more Bible studies do you need? How many more encounters with God do you need? How many more times do you need to be filled before you actually go and let the Holy Spirit flow through your life and let you become the person that God is calling you to really be? Rivers of living water, are they flowing out of you or are they not? Is it just dead, salty water? Complaining and moaning, and crumbling, and coarse joking, and passive-aggressive avoiding of important conversations. Be honest. What actually flows out of you day to day? Jesus' promise here is that when we come to Him, we will be filled by the Holy Spirit. But those rivers of living water that are promised... And actually what you're in you right now, if you're a Christian, are those rivers, are they flowing out of you or are they not? Are you hindering the flow of the river? Perhaps that's another challenge for some of us today. Blessing begins, blessing begins with hunger and thirst for living water. Four things from John 7 today. Number one, Jesus alone offers us living water. So make a decision about him. Make a decision about who he really is. Number two, we need to identify that our hunger and thirst is for Jesus alone. So please realize that nothing else will ever satisfy you. Only he can. Number three, we need to come and drink from the water that he offers. So come to him Move towards him in word and in prayer and to encounter. And lastly, we are filled by the Holy Spirit to overflowing. So let his life flow through yours. Living water. This is the gospel. This is the work of God. This is the glorious inheritance of the adopted children of God. And this is how the kingdom of God comes. Blessing begins with our thirst for living water. As I close this morning, can I invite you to stand with me This morning, I'd love us to respond in a really courageous way because I really, I I really believe that some of this is important for people today. And we, we don't normally do this. We don't usually do this here in Car Money, but I feel that it's right. Throughout Jesus' life, he used those words, come to me repeatedly over and over again. And many times he actually made people physically move towards him. And you know what? That would have been really, really courageous. That would have been really courageous. He asked the man with the withered hand to stretch it out, the most vulnerable part of his life and his story, stretch out the withered hand so that it could be healed. He told the blind men and lepers to go and wash themselves so that they could be he called the disciples to actually give up their entire livelihood and follow him. Step up, step out, physically move towards me, such is the repeated nature of the call of Jesus. And so this morning, we're going to do that as we come to pray. Um, If you're on prayer ministry, and actually even if you're not on prayer ministry today, kind of wrote it on, would you maybe come to the front? Would you maybe line up um, just in front of me here at the front of church? If you're on prayer ministry, or even if you're trained in that, or perhaps if you're an elder trained in it, would you come to the front? I would love you guys just to stand so that folks won't be alone. This morning I want to pray for four groups of people. Firstly, if you are here this morning and you're finally making a decision about who Jesus really is, then I'm going to be bold, and I'm going to ask you to be really bold. Would you come to the front, and would you let us pray for you? Or if you're here, and you know that you have been putting off making a decision about who Jesus really is, or perhaps you have denied him in some way in your life, and you know it, and you're saying again in this moment that Jesus is the Lord of my life, then I want you to come to the front as well. We're going to pray for you in a moment. Secondly, if you're here this morning and you know, like you really know, you've been pursuing other things, other things apart from Jesus, and you know that you have settled spiritually, like you know in your heart and in your mind that you've been in the same place in faith for ages and you haven't moved from it, I would love you to come forward and let us pray for you. Like you're tired of being in the same old place and you know something needs to change and you know God has more for your life. I would love you to come forward and let us pray for you. Thirdly, if you are here this morning and you're saying, do you know what? I am really, really thirsty for God. Maybe you're really tired and maybe you're burned out. Maybe you're exhausted and you're saying, do you know what? I'm really, really thirsty. My spiritual life is really, really dry, and it has been for some time. I'm going to invite you to come forward and let us pray for you. And then lastly, if you are here this morning and you know that you somehow have been getting in the way of the overflow of God's Holy Spirit through your life, and you're coming forward to ask for help with that, And I want to pray for you. And so if any of that resonates with you, or if anything that I have said this morning resonates with you, would you move now? Would you take a few moments and come out from the pews and move towards us? And we're going to pray for you. The reality in these moments, the reality in almost every church service is this. We can talk about these things as if they're conceptual realities, And we can talk a really good game and we can theoretically know that all of this is true or you can actually come and get what it is that God is offering you right now. (laughs) I can stand here and talk all day about living water or you can actually come and get it. We can talk all day about wanting to be closer to God or do you know what? You can actually come and just do it. You can come to church week after week after week And know that stuff has to change in your life. Or you can actually come and let us pray that that will happen. Jesus stands today and shouts over the crowds in this room, come to me and drink. So if any of what has been said today resonates, I'm going to ask you to be courageous and to come forward now. And we're going to pray. And so Paul, would you maybe just play for us? If any of that resonates with you, I'm going to invite you to come forward. It's not a strange thing. It's not a weird thing. It's not religious, spiritual hype. It's none of that. Jesus stands this morning. Come to me, all who are thirsty, and drink. Come to me. If anything has resonated with you, please come forward. Please don't miss the moment. I know it's a courageous thing to do. Please come. I'll give you one minute longer. We have time. Jesus, this morning in these moments, as some people continue to come forward, Holy Spirit, in these moments, we ask you to come and fill your people again. To the God who stepped towards us first, we step back towards you in these moments. Lord God, we thank you so much for your offer of living water. We thank you so much that you alone offer what we need, that you alone offer to us the very thing that will satisfy us in our lives. And we thank you that when we come to you that the promise is that we will be filled. And so in these moments, God, I want to pray for the people at the front of our room this morning. And I want to pray for all of the people who didn't move because they were maybe too afraid to or felt that it was too much of an ask. I want to pray in this moment of response. God, I pray for decision makers this morning. I pray for people actually who are making a declaration that I believe that Jesus really is the Messiah. I don't play games with this anymore. Jesus is the Messiah and I need to follow him. God, I pray for salvation in these moments, that salvation would come and reign in this house. I thank you so much for salvation. Pray for the decision makers. Holy Spirit, fill them afresh, put courage in their hearts thank you. And I want to pray secondly this morning for those who feel that they are stuck in their faith, for people who have felt that they've been in the same old place for way too long. For whatever reason in their life, they've been following, pursuing other things, not coming to you daily, not receiving the infilling of the Holy Spirit, not drinking of the living water that you have offered. And so they know that they are stuck. I pray over those people, Holy Spirit, that you would catalyze something new in their life. As they have come to the front of a room, as they are responding right now in prayer, that there would be this moment where the Holy Spirit enters in and changes things in their lives. God, reignite passion where that has gone away. Bring strength where they need that. Bring challenge where they need that. And would, as they leave this morning, would they know that actually something is different because they met with you. An encounter with the Holy Spirit, with the God of angels, can change everything in a moment. We pray for the people who are stuck. And God, for those this morning who just need filled again. For those who are just really tired for those who know that actually they're just really spiritually dry Holy Spirit softly gently but in a really significant way fill them again help them know that there is living water that is coming into the deepest part of their being now because you're here and lastly we pray over all those people who are responding to this word about standing in the way of the overflow People who have been filled time and time and time again. People who have come to the front of churches and who have stepped out in faith and who have heard sermon after sermon, listened to hundreds of hours of teaching, but for some reason haven't been able to go from A to B and B to C and C to D and who somehow know they are standing in the way of the overflow of your Holy Spirit. Lord God, help them to know in this coming week how to be people who let your love flow, who let the life-giving presence and power of King Jesus flow through their lives in workplaces, in neighborhoods, in conversations, in friendships, in families, and in all of their networks. God, we pray for those who feel that they are standing in the way of the overflow. And God, for all of us this morning in the room, We thank you so much for your word to us. We thank you that your word is alive. We thank you that your word lifts our spirit. We thank you that time spent in your presence is always the best thing for us. Do with your word what it needs to do in our lives into the rest of today, into our week, and into all of the months that are ahead. Would this be a significant moment for all of us in Carmine Church this morning? Lord, we love you. We honor you. We thank you for your word. Continue with us as we worship. Continue with us as we sing and we declare more truths about who you are and what it is that you're doing in the world. Continue with us now, for we ask it in the beautiful, mighty name of King Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much to everybody who's come forward. You guys can head on back. We're going to remain on our feet. And we're going to sing together as we close this morning.